Good morning. Yeah. My name is Brandon. I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Sojourn Heights. Uh, I, wanna, I just want to add one thing uh, to what Dodd said and then slip in another announcement right quick. Uh, my, my wife and I, years ago, uh, we, we had uh, our first miscarriage, and I had no idea uh, the pain that came along with uh, miscarriages uh, until we had our first, and then we had our second, and we got a double dose of it. And, and so we know that there are men and women inside this room right now that are struggling with infertility, that have struggled through miscarriages. Uh, and some of you, uh, some of you are doing it and, you're, and you're, you're just woven into the community, you're woven into the church, you have a, a really uh, rich community within your neighborhood parish, and so you're not struggling alone. But some of you are struggling alone. Um, and I want to tell you that you are not meant to struggle alone, and that even if you do feel like you're struggling alone, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you in the deep, dark pain of life, the Lord is with you, all right? Second announcement, or second thing I want to add real quick. This coming Friday, uh, we'll be having a forum, a Redeemed Family Forum. So we, uh, week one, we defined Redeemed Family, and then we talked singleness and dating, and then marriage, uh, and today we're going to talk parenthood. And so we've got a few people that are going to uh, be here and, and be a part of our forum, Michael and Christy Boyce, who uh, have been married seven months and a day longer than I've been alive. Uh, Chuck and Christine at dinner the other night, I was like, y'all are old. I mean, just old. Uh, and then, which is good, amen. I want to be that old too one day, just not soon. Uh, and uh, Chuck and Kathleen Land, uh, same thing, grandparents, and then Ann Lincoln Hollibaugh, uh, a good friend of mine from Dallas, the children's minister of the village, who's mid-30s, single, um, loves Jesus deeply and has and has done it well, and so and then a few of our guys will, will be on the panel as well. And here, here's the hope. Let me tee up the hope for the panel today for what we want to do on Sunday. We we want this panel to be kind of modeled after the Proverbs, right? So the Proverbs are this book about life. It's this book about uh, practical wisdom, day to day living. Uh, we want this forum to not be a theology of singleness, marriage, parenthood. That's what we're doing uh, here. Uh, we want it to be on the ground answering your questions day in and day out. So Thursday we'll, uh, we'll flash open text in Q&A and, and our hope is that you guys would flood us with your questions so that we can be answering, we can ask them to answer your questions uh, about life so they're really answering the day-to-day of your life. All right? That's that. Let's dive in and talk parenting. Uh, I, have, uh, I have three kids, five, year, uh, five years old, four, and 18 months. And here's what I know now for sure. I, I know now that uh, you don't have to teach disobedience to kids. It's innately hardwired into them. And, uh, and I know that I've used illustrations like this before, so bear with me and let me do it again. This past week, my 18-month-old was uh, at my parish leader's house. Uh, my parish leader, uh, she bent down, she got on her knees, and was doing kiss face to my 18-month-old. Do you know what kiss face is? Where, come here, come give me kisses, right? Um, and my 18-month-old misinterpreted what was happening, looked confused, picked up her hand, and went, smack! <laughs> and then looked at me like, got her, daddy. <laughs> and, uh, and so here's the question. Where did my 18-month-old learn that? Answer, her mom. Not so, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. She doesn't do that to y'all, just to me. Uh, no, we, we have never walked up to a parish leader and been like, hey, Jen, hey, Adam, bah, you know, it's just, it's, now, if y'all came up to me and did kiss face, we would talk about it, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't hit you because of it, right? My wife and I didn't teach this, so the question's not, 
are children innately rebellious and disobedient? That's not the question. The question is why. And Jen Wilkin, a uh, brilliant writer, teacher, she's so sharp. Read her stuff if you can find it. It's easy to find. Just go to Amazon. Uh, she wrote something that's just simple uh, but, but insightful as to why children are. Here's what Jen said. Children, like the rest of us, are usually looking for a way to elevate their wills above those in authority over them. They don't want to submit to the authority of a parent, a teacher, or a caregiver unless that person's will aligns with theirs. All right, so, so what is Jen's point? It, when Jen looks at little children and diagnoses this is why they're rebellious, what did Jen say? Her answer was, because they're like the rest of us. You, you see, my, my child, my son in particular, uh, is rebellious because I'm rebellious. He, he is a rebellious seed because he's my seed. He's my child. He's a child of a rebellious man. And here's why this matters. Here's why this matters. If you think, if you think disobedience is learned, then the goal of your parenting will always be morality. If you think obedience is learned, the goal of your parenting will always be morality. It will get them to unlearn what they've learned. And you will completely miss the point of Ephesians 6. But, but if you don't, and you don't miss the point of Ephesians 6, this little text, this four-verse chunk right here, has the chance to reorient the way that you see children inside the church and reorient the way you see the goal and purpose of parenting. So let's get in there. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. The word obey, it, it, it means subordinate, right? It, it's, uh, it's, not a, it's not the exact, it's not the same word from verse 21, but there's a lot of overlap with the word submit and this word here for obey. They, they both can be used to, to, to communicate this idea of submit. And so if we bring verse 21 in, uh, we, we see it talking about like, as we subordinate our will to Christ, we subordinate our wills to one another, and our children subordinate their wills to their parents. And so Paul is saying this to the kids. He's saying to, to kids, he would say to my three, your job is to obey. Okay, you, you five-year-old, you want to know what your job is in the home? Here's your job description. Obey your parents. That's it. Now you want to know what he'd say to the parents? He'd say to the parents, your job is to cultivate obedience in your children. But then he says, uh, obey your parents in the Lord. And in the Lord, it, it, it means that at a minimum, at a minimum, that we are to treat our children with the same standards and the same grace that Christ treats us with. And here's the, here's the brilliance of the Bible. Even if, even if you're in here right now and you think, Man, I'm not really buying this religion thing. I mean, I'm sure that God might exist, but I don't know uh, about Christianity. And uh, you have to, at a minimum, acknowledge the brilliance of the Bible. Because here's what the Bible just did the Bible just said both extremes that we usually follow are not okay. So, extreme one is the, is the tyrant parent, right? The parent that's always raging, always angry, that obedience in their child is really out of fear. That, that, that's one extreme. Or extreme two. Extreme two is uh, my job is to be my child's friend. 
Right? My job is just to be his buddy. You see, if you, if you think, if you think this, like my job, my primary function as a parent is to just be my child's friend, that's an extreme version that would end up, uh, end up with you thinking um, that my role is to make my three-year-old happy. And let me tell you this. It, if you've been a parent, you know this. If you're in route to having a three-year-old, you'll find this out soon. If your life is governed by trying to keep a three-year-old happy, you are going to go insane. It is not possible. And if you buy into this, you won't cultivate obedience. And so Paul starts out, verse 1, no extremes. Children, obey your parents. Parents, cultivate obedience with the same standards and grace that Christ treats you with. And now, verse 2, he gets to the root of obedience, where it comes from. And he's going to make the goal, purpose of parenting crystal clear. Verse 2, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. All right, to see, uh, to see what's happening in verse 2 right here, to understand the, the root of obedience, you have to understand how to interpret the Ten Commandments. And, and Martin Luther was this really brilliant theologian 500 years ago that led the, the Reformation, uh, which is this historic thing that is why we're not all Catholic and he said, this is how you understand the, the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is that we have no other gods. And that if you break commandments uh, two through ten, it's because you're breaking the first commandments. The first commandment is the root, is the, the, the root of obeying commandments two through ten. Which means that if, if he's right, and this is why uh, Paul is using this verse and applying it to uh, our children, it means that, the, that what God is after in our kids is that they be obedient to the first commandment, that they would have no other gods before our God, that God is after the hearts of our children. So as parents, we impose the fifth commandment in order to cultivate the first commandment. That what God is after in the obedience of our children is that we would cultivate them being worshipers of God. That's what God is after. That means... But what God is not after, again, is just morality or religious conformity. He's not after that in our children any more than he was after that in Israel. He's also not after sports. He's not after education. He's not after success. But here's what happens. We, we take these good things. And listen, I, I like sports. I can't wait for the Cowboys season to start. They're going to dominate the Packers this year. I can't wait for it. Yep, I'm pro sports. I'm not anti-sports. But that is not God's priority in our children. I'm, I'm for education. I love education. I have a master's and would love to go back to school. I, not leave here to go back to school, but do it while I'm here. Like I, I love education. I'm for education. But it is, it is not God's primary objective in our children. I, I want my kids to grow up and have good jobs. I want that. And that is not God's primary objective for our children. But what happens is we take these good things and we make gods out of them. And, and we take our children's sports or their education or their religious morality or their future success um, and, and we hand authority in our life over to these things, over to these desires that we've made what we call idols out of. And so it can be hard to know if this is you, if this is me, like how do I know, it, have, have I pendulum swung this way? Could I, if I don't have kids right now, how, how would I know that this could be me, is likely to be me? Uh, we, we wrote down, uh, five or six uh, questions to, to ask ourselves and ask uh, this, but in the end, I, I really cut it down to one question. Uh, one question I want you to ask. If you are 
uh, in this room right now, either parent or parent-to-be, Lord willing, I I want you to ask this question. This will help you diagnose the state of your heart when it comes to your children. When you dream about your child's future, what makes you proud? And when you think about your child in 15, 20, 25 years, when he's a 12-year-old or she's an 8-year-old, what is it that makes you proud? What, what is it that would make you look at your peers, look at your friends and say, that's my boy, that's my girl? Because the answer to that question will determine how you parent today. And I think Paul would be asking this question. Paul's going to ask, is what's most important to God what's most important to you? Right? It, if, if the first commandment is what's most important to God, and seeing our children become worshipers of God is what's most important to God, is that what's most important to you? Right? Does that sit over education? Does that sit over sports? Does that sit over success? Or... Have you put education, sports, success over that? I think that's Paul's question to us. Because Paul knows, that's why he quoted the fifth commandment, that God is not after obedience for obedience's sake. He's after the fifth commandment in order to see the first commandment flourish in our children. Because when it is, when it does, it comes with a promise. Let's keep reading. So honor your father and mother, This is the first commandment with a promise. Now here's the promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. So that's that's the promise. Go well with you, live long in the land. Now if we we trace land, uh, we have to to understand what Paul is saying the promise is. We have to trace land throughout the scriptures to really understand what he's saying. And so if we... Um, if we started in Genesis 1, we'd see um, Adam and Eve in the garden and God saying, hey, go multiply and fill the earth. That's the first land command that there is in the scriptures. And then Genesis 3, sin enters the world, fracture happens. Genesis 12, God comes to Abraham and says, hey, to your offspring, I'm going to give that land. And so then Israel is longing for this land. There's this land that Israel is after and then they're in it and they're out of it. And if we trace the Old Testament, we're going to see two predominant themes about the land show up, one as Israel's getting in and in, and then one when they're in exile. The first theme is abundance, that in the land there would be an overflowing abundance. All that you could ever want or have or dream of is found in the land. And then when they're in exile, when they're in exile, the theme is going to be judgment. And so here's what happened in the cross. Here's what happened in the cross. In the cross, Jesus became the true land. Jesus became the place of absolute abundance. And Jesus became the place of divine judgment. That he walked in and embraced our divine judgment so that he could be our place of absolute abundance. So that he could become the place where all that you ever wanted, all that you ever needed, all that you could ever dream of is found in the person and work of Jesus as he became the true land. And at the heart of the gospel... And at the heart of the gospel is our union with Christ. That a Christian, when you go from being not a Christian to a Christian. So when I was 22, May of 2000, these guys are inviting me to this Bible study. I want nothing to do with it because I think girls aren't there. And then one day I'm on my bed and I'm in tears and I'm going, if this is real, I'm in. 
Six months later, I'm asking the guys, hey, what do you think? Am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? I don't really get what's going on right now. But at some point along the way, here's what happened. Here's what happened. I, I went from apart from Christ to united to Christ. And in our union with Christ, we're united together, and the church then becomes a living foretaste of the land that is to come at the return of Christ. And so when we raise our children inside the church, when our, when our kids are raised up within this redeemed family, they're raised within a living foretaste of what they have in Christ and what they'll have at the return of Christ. And so here's the question, and it's a legitimate question. Uh, it's a biblical, theological question to ask. It's called a promise. It's called a promise. So does that mean that the children of believers across the board are necessarily guaranteed this inheritance in Christ? Is that what it means? The short answer, the short answer is no. That Romans 9.6 says not all Israel is Israel. And so to figure out what it does mean then, what we need to do is we need to get into the Scriptures and we kind of need to trace the Scriptures from left to right, from Old Testament toward the New, and see how the Bible talks about children. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to start uh, with a few passages in the Old Testament, read them to you, highlight a couple of things. No, this is, we, we have a, a link on our website. You can read a more detailed uh, paper on this. Uh, but here's just a little snapshot that will show you the union, the link between the Old and the New Testament when it comes to our children. Genesis 17, 7 through 8. This is the Abrahamic covenant. It says, And I will establish my covenant between uh, me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. So right off in verse 7, between me and you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. There's the name of our church, by the way, in case you didn't connect the dots. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So right at the heart of the Abrahamic covenant is you and your children, you and your children, you and your children. Look at Psalm 103, 17. This is all on the screen, so don't, don't turn there. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, and on those who fear him. And his righteousness is to children's children. Jeremiah 32, 38 to 40, speaking about the new covenant, the new covenant to come. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way. They may fear me forever, and, I, and for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will give them one heart, one way, that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. I will make uh, with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I'll put fear in uh, in their hearts that they may not turn from me. So throughout the Old Testament, and this is three of a hundred illustrations that we could give, that's you and your children, you and your children, that, that this covenantal relationship in the Old Testament, you and your children. The question is then, um, does it change in the New Testament? So if children in the Old Testament are seen as part of the covenant community, right? Not all Israel is Israel, but all children are seen as part of the covenant community. Does that change in the New Testament? A couple of verses. Acts 2, 38 through 39. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, 
for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. So when it comes to language, Old Testament to New Testament, at the foundation of the New Covenant, there's no major change in the language. It's for you, your children, those who are far off, and then anyone whom the Lord God would call to himself. And then building out of that, 1 Corinthians 7.14 says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. This word holy is using just a, a ceremonial sense. It means that they're set apart. Right? It doesn't mean holy in the, in the, in the you have uh, passed from death to life and become a Christian. The word holy simply means you're set apart. You're in a category of people that's over here. And then the one that when you build on this, the one that changed it all for me, that, that completely reoriented the way that I see children inside the church was our text today. Ephesians 6, that in Ephesians 6, what he did in taking uh, the uh, uh, fifth commandment was he took something written to Israelite children in Mount Sinai and applied it to Gentile children in Ephesus without changing the command or the promise. So in Paul's mind, as Paul's writing this, it's clear that there is no categorical difference between the two, that if you're born in Israel, you're born into the covenant community, right? Still, not all Israel is Israel, but you're born into this community. And inside the church, you're born into this community. You're born inside this covenant community. And John Piper, pastor up in Minnesota, theologian, um, has a wonderful paragraph that uh, we have copied on that paper where he simply says, listen, there's a lineage of privileges that Christ purchased for the children of believers, that when you're brought up inside this church, you, you have this word all around you, that you have this prayer, you have the discipline of the church, you have unbelievable grace that just gets poured out on you as you are raised up within the church. And so we can, we can parent with great confidence that our children will be brought up and one day grab hold of Jesus and believe. We can parent with great confidence um, knowing that praying for their salvation as we make disciples of our children. The question is how? How do we go about making disciples of our children? Let's keep reading verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. All right, that's, that's pretty straightforward, right? Uh, don't provoke your children to anger. So a, uh, a marker on the couch is not the end of the world. Uh, a broken glass is not the end of the world. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It'll be okay. Even if you have to sit on the floor because of that marker, it's going to be okay. And it keeps going. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So th this, it, when we put these together, here, here's, how we, here's what he's saying. This is how we go about making disciples of our children. Discipline and instruction. Discipline is how not to live. Instruction is how to live. Right? So one is this is how uh, you don't live, i.e., uh, this is how you kill sin in your life. And then one is this is how you do live, i.e., this is how you live to Christ and see Christ flourish inside of you. And so in real life, on the ground, what does it look like? Well, let me give you one example of what it looks like to try to um, live this life of discipline, instruction in, the, in, in an event, in a 
breakdown event that happens inside the home. Illustrate it with sharing. Um, kids don't innately share. I don't innately share, right? If we're out to dinner and I've got fries in front of me and you want some, don't take them, all right? I'm going to buy you your own fries, all right? But my kids don't innately share. Popcorn's the same thing. Um, and so whenever my kids are wrestling over something and not wanting to share, he, here's how the conversation goes. It always goes like this. We sit down um, and, and I say, hey, uh, sweetie, hey, little bud, uh, you're going to share. Uh, you're going to share. And you know why you're going to share? Because who's in charge? That's right. Daddy is in charge. And I'm telling you to share. But the other, the other conversation that then follows right after that is, hey, hey why, why do we share though, bud? Why, why do we share? Because God shared his favorite thing with us. God shared Jesus with us. Because my child's and children's obedience is right. And the goal is gospel formation. My child's obedience is right and the goal is gospel formation. And so I want to land this, uh, I want to land the plane in this, talking about Sojourn Kids and about our neighborhood parishes here at Sojourn Heights and how it is that we come together, unite together to raise our kids as a redeemed family. So Sojourn Kids is what's happening on that hallway right over there in those rooms. And there is times, there are times where we provide child care at Sojourn. We, we believe in child care. We're for it. Sojourn Kids is not it. Sojourn Kids is not child care. Sojourn Kids is where our children are being walked through age-appropriate liturgies. It's where our children are being walked through the narrative of the gospel week in and week out. It's where we're discipling our kids on Sundays in the same way that, Lord willing, we're making disciples of Jesus here in this room. They're not a side event. Like, we're not the church and they come to it. It's redeemed family, family of families, age-appropriate liturgies. That's what's happening over there. And then our neighborhood parishes. This is inside of our neighborhood parishes is where we make disciples of our kids together. It's where they love my kids and my kids love them. When we showed up at my, uh, my parish leader's house, sometimes my kids say, hey, we're home. And I'm like, no, we're not home actually, but that's cool. Uh, it's where we teach our kids to pray together. It's where they get to see and learn and observe and watch and, and, and come to understand what it is that adults think about the Bible. Right? So I'm not interested in another five-year-old telling my five-year-old what they think of the Bible. Right? I want them to know what adults think of the Bible. And as a parent, uh, there is no more important ministry to my kids and to our single parents in the room. To our single parents in the room. Neighborhood parishes are where you don't parent alone. Right? Inside of our neighborhood parishes, you might be single. You are not alone. It's where we as a family come around you and come around your children and we raise your children up together. You're single but not alone. And this ministry of neighborhood parish, speaking as a parent, is the most important ministry we could ever have to my children. Without question. There is not a single thing we could do at Sojourn Heights that would ever be more important to me when it comes to raising my children inside the church. Nothing. No, I want, there are other things that we do and we will do, and I love it and we're for it. There's nothing more important to me than my children being raised up inside the community of a neighborhood parish. 
but we didn't want it to just be me trying to sell you on the value of kids being raised in parishes. So we wanted one of our families uh, to tell you on their own. And so this is the Mayo family talking about life as a parent inside a neighborhood parish. So when I asked them when I first got here, uh, you know, what was the struggle staying? Why did you uh, think about leaving? Why did you end up staying? It centered on that peer-to-peer relationship. And I, I get it. I, when our kids, uh, we had dinner at their house and five-year-old, seven-year-old, when they're in there and two girls are being two girls, it's just so much fun. Um, but if, if you're having to sacrifice uh, one kind of peer relationship for another, you're getting a better community inside of a neighborhood parish for your kids. You just are. And, and the other thing that I love and we love here is that, uh, you know, a year ago, I mean, there was a day when it was like, we have seven kids, uh, and now it's closer to 30, and um, tomorrow it's going to be 50, and then it's going to be 70 and 100, and one day we'll be outnumbered, and we'll all be playing zone defense every Sunday. 
and it's going to be awesome. But here's what I love most. For my kids, for yours, and yours to come. What I love most is that whether we have 30, 50, or 6,000 kids, we have parish families, these little neighborhood communities of people who come together, who care for and walk with and will get down on our knees and look our kids in the eyes and say, I love you and I pray for you. And our kids will say, what does that mean? And then we can explain why we love them and why we pray for them. And then they'll get to see us praying for one another. They'll get to see us walking through the pains and joys and hurts of life. One of the things that being in a neighborhood parish won't allow you to do is to shelter your kids from the pain of life, but you'll force them to be exposed to it and watch you walk through it with other people. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so we pray for the day where we're overrun with children. We can't wait for that day, but we bless the Lord that no matter how many children we have, we're always going to have these neighborhood parish communities, the little smaller expressions of the church as family where we raise up our kids together and see Christ flourished in them. Because from single to married to parenting to our children, we are a redeemed family fighting to kill sin together, fighting to see Christ cultivated in us, in one another. Until the day living as a foretaste of the land that is to come at the return of Christ until the day when the true land returns and we dine with our King in the new heavens and new earth, prepping one another for that day, our children included. Let me pray.